Hey, everybody. How you doing today? I hope you're having a wonderful day, evening, whenever you're at listening to this podcast. Uh, we've got a good one for you today. In just a minute, Gray Buck joining us on Ike Live 2.0. Can't wait to talk to Gray about what's going on, his offseason, and all that stuff. Uh, by the way, let me mention real quick before I do these little catch-up notes here. Uh, thank you guys and girls for the amazing response to this uh, new format of the show, uh, this 2.0 format. Uh, a lot of great comments, suggestions. Keep them coming. Uh, we've heard from a lot of you guys about guests that you want to hear and topics that you want to hear about. So keep those messages coming. And I, I appreciate all the great feedback. Uh, reminder here, of the Ike Foundation Scholarship Banquet is late January. It seems like far away, but it's actually not that far. Uh, tickets are available. You can get a table. Come out. It's going to be a great night. Uh, it's over at the Centerton Country Club over here in South Jersey. Uh, all the money goes to support kids fishing. And, of course, the scholarships that we award. Speaking of scholarships, um, if you're a graduating high school senior and uh, you love hunting and fishing, uh, you love the outdoors, apply for this scholarship. P please head over there. Go to the IkeFoundation.org, click on the application, fill it out. Uh, we've, we've had some great submissions already, so it's not too early to submit your application for that scholarship. Uh, also, now this is big news. Now listen, if you're driving or walking, you might want to pull over for this one because uh, this is a big news here. If you're on a skateboard or one of those electric bikes where you get no exercise whatsoever, uh, pull over right now because big news. The My World TV show is having a reboot. That's right. I know a lot of you were excited about uh, My World. Uh, it's coming back. So we've got the My World reboot happening starting right after Thanksgiving. That's Monday, November 27th. Uh, and I'm stoked about this. It's going to be on the Waypoint TV platform system. Now listen to this. You can get it so many different ways. I don't even have enough room on this note paper here, but um, My World Season 1 starting Monday, November 27th, 9.30 p.m. It's a great time slot. You can get it on the Waypoint TV app, waypointtv.com, Samsung TV, LG TV, Pluto TV, Vizio, Zumio. I don't even know what that is. Tubby, Tub Teletubby TV, Amazon TV, um, Local Now and, of course, Sling will be carrying the reboot of My World Season 1. Very excited about this, man. I was uh, Some of the TV projects I've been involved in over the years, I was very excited about this one because totally different format, uh, some great personalities and athletes from other sports. So please check that out. My World Season 1 reboot uh, on Waypoint TV, Monday, November 27th, 9.30 p.m. Last but not least, I had a little note here just to create a little buzz. Uh, got a new sponsor coming on board for Ike Live uh, starting January 1st of the new year. Very, very excited. Uh, a sponsor that uh, is excited about this premise and the podcast. And it's always good to have supporters of the show uh, come on board. So, all right, I'm ready. Enough of the notes. I want to get Gray on. Uh, joining us now on Ike Live is Gray Buck. Gray, what's up? Oh, not much. Kind of in that off-season mode. Doing a lot of fishing still, but um, kind of doing some scouting, rigging up the new boat, 
playing some hockey at night with my men's league teams, and it's good. It's good. Uh, so before we came on, I, you talk, talked about rigging the boat, and I always th I think that a lot of people assume that the pros you know, get the boats and they're perfect right off the giddy. And they literally just like a new car, right? You get, you know, you, you get to the dealership, the showroom, you jump in it, you sign the paperwork, you get the keys and you're gone. But that's not the case, right? You're sitting in your bass cat right now and you, you're rigging it to how you like the boat rig. Talk a little bit about that. Cause I think people don't know that enough. Yeah, no. Um, so I was actually out at the table rock Toyota series championship Fishing out of my Bass Cat Cougar, my 23 boat that I fished all year out of. Yeah. I had worked, fished that, got done. The gentleman that was buying it, him and his son drove down from Wisconsin, picked the boat up there in Missouri, took it home. On Monday morning, I went over to Bass Cat's facility, met with Rick, uh, got a tour of the whole place. First time ever out there. Really impressive. It was a really cool deal. Yeah. But. I got to drive without a boat for about an hour, I guess, between going to Table Rock to <laughs> Bass Cat, and I was towing my new one home. So uh, it was it was funny how it all came together, but it worked really well, like timing wise. That this year I did not go two weeks or a month without a boat. Um, yeah. But when I got it home, I had a lot of rigging to do. So I had all my Lawrence electronics here, yep. ready to go. I had to run all the wiring. Um, Bass Cat did a lot of like the they ran like the NEMA stuff. But I had to get it all connected and figure out how everything was laying out and kind of tweak it and put it together and then put your graph mounts on. That's a decent amount of work. Um, I run Bass Boat Technology. So the one at the dash here, super easy to put in. The one up front's different. Um, I got a Puma this year. I had a Puma? Heck yeah. yeah. So I'm excited, but it was, it's a new learning curve of different um, electronic mounts. So yeah. how they go on there and how everything goes. So, I got that all put away. I had two days to get it rigged because my wife wanted to go up to New York and go smallmouth fishing. So I was rigging like a madman last week. I got all the main stuff done. We went up to New York. We smashed a bunch of smallies this past weekend. and then That's awesome. Now I'm back home for another, I guess, two days, and then I'm going to head down south and go check out Santee Cooper for next year. Do a little scouting. That's smart. Now, do you enjoy the boat rigging process? or Because I've, ta I've talked to guys, and they have it both ways. Some guys – love it they like geek out and they're like you know very into like these little niche things that they do on their boats and then other guys i've talked to dude it's like they hate it it's like the worst thing in the world the boat rigging process like they can't just they can't wait to get all that past them where do you fall on that do you like it do you hate it okay hold on we we may have we may have a technical difficulty with gray i think it froze up give me one second but anyway I was just talking about does Gray love or hate the boat rigging process? And I can tell you why we're waiting for Gray to, I don't know what this glitch is, why we're waiting for Gray to figure it out. I can tell you this, that personally, I am not a fan of the rigging myself. Like I enjoy, all right, we got Gray back on here. I don't know what happened. That was an Ike Live glitch. You know, Brian the Carpenter has glitched Ike Live permanently. So even if it's just me, the shows are still messed up. But Gray, I was the same. Personally, I I like the process because I like to have input and I like to do it my way, but I don't like doing it myself. Like, like I'm not the techie guy. Where where do you fall on that spectrum? I would say pretty similar to that. I like to know where all my cables are, where the, how they were all run. Yeah. I don't want to do the actual work myself. It's a lot of work. You sticking your arm up boats and getting fiberglass cuts. And yeah. 
<laughs> you find that random zip tie that's in there that cuts your hand open when you're reaching around looking for another wire. Yeah. But it is, it's very valuable to know where everything is because there's NEMA cables or the networking cables. Every once in a while, something will get pinched in there and it, it'll go out on you. And then all of a sudden during the tournament, you're like panicking, trying to figure out what's going on. And better I know. Yeah. The networking cables, I really like to label them. I label them like console to console and console to bow and which one's yep. active target one, which one's my active target two. And then I keep extra stuff with me in the boat in case I ever have something go out during the tournament. I can quick swap it out and know what's not working. So it, there is right. a definite, definitely some value to doing it yourself, but it becomes very tedious. That's yeah. And I just want to go fishing. I don't, I don't want to be rigging. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, great. You've done a lot of stuff with Bash U and you've done a, stuff, a lot of stuff like live in the past, but stoked to have you on the show again. And I want to start by telling you, dude, I am very, very proud of you for being a Northeast angler. Like, I don't know if you realize this, but, you know, when you look at the history of professional bass fishing, there are very few, few professionals from the Northeast, but very few from Pennsylvania. And you're one of those guys, right? Like, so I, like I was thinking this morning, and I didn't do official research like Ken Duke would do, but like we've had Randall Romig, of course, was one of the original old time pros for Pennsylvania. Uh, we've got Dave Wallach, uh, Ed Callen, even though we never really technically turned pro, I would put him in that bucket. Uh, we've got some great guys uh, on a few guys on tour, but very few from Pennsylvania. Are you proud to be a Northeast angler? Absolutely. No, it, yeah. like you said, there's very few of us. When I was getting into it, like I grew up just loving fishing. My grandfather yeah. and I, we'd go catch whatever we could. It was in seventh or eighth grade, my buddy's dad, you might know him, Harry Nurk. He bought your boat in 2000, I want to say five, maybe. Yeah, that, that name. I know that name. Yeah. He, he lives out the Northeast now, but he lived five minutes away. I grew up with his son playing hockey. He coached us. And they took me to the Chesapeake. And I always tell people, the first time I watched him skip a crawl tube underneath the dock and rip on out, changed my life like that that's what i want just, like, the, I skip. Be just yep. the skip it wasn't even a fish catch it was just a <laughs> the motion yep. of the bait uh, wow he, he, and he wasn't skipping back in there like that <laughs> <laughs> no um, but for real it was that was what got me hooked on it and then he was such a big uh like fan of yourself that that was like who you were who i watched like you were the northeast guy like it was relatable and even going through college, I went to Penn State, fished on the team. Like I had some moderate success here and there. And I'd come watch you at uh, Cabela's. I remember going there the one time. And then I started fishing BFLs, and it kind of just took off on itself. But yeah, now, being from the Northeast is just – we only could fish for whatever, a good chunk of the year. Like, there's months there we can't go out there. Yeah, it, it makes it tougher, I feel like, to consistently be on the water. And a lot of our lakes are electric only or yeah. power restricted. So – it makes it tough, I think, to get to that level where we're traveling across the country and being able to compete because of that. Yeah. Well, it, it's definitely a unique environment. But, you know, I'm, I'm proud of you for being a Northeast Angler. And, and, like, we have a couple things in common. So that's one. So, you know, the one is that you stayed. You, you know, like a lot of your peers and a lot of people, uh, we've had other anglers from this area of the country that as they're grinding and as they're, you know, working their way, as they're traveling the road of becoming a pro, the first thing they do is they boogie this comb as fast as they can to Tennessee or Alabama or somewhere like that. But, but, but you stayed. What, 
talk about that. Like, uh, are you are you going to be a Northeast PA guy the rest of your life? Do you feel like that, or do you feel what? Why did you stay? Yeah, no. Um, there's a combination of things. My wife has a good job in the area, so that's a big thing. Yeah, we both have our family ten minutes one ways. My parents twenty the other ways hers. So we're centrally located, which is it's nice. Like it's good to be yeah. able to see your family when you're home. Um, I like the area. Like even though the fishing's not lights out, like I got we got a couple of lakes around us. I got some fish in it. Um, yeah. I can be down to the Chesapeake in an hour and a half. Biggest thing is probably I can be up to the New York in four hours, and I can be catching trophy class smallmouth. Right, that's exactly. I think that's a big thing. I I have a hard time leaving that. Not that I go up there like every weekend or anything like that, but yeah. My wife likes to fish a lot, so we'll go up there, say, three, four times a year, just fun fishing for a weekend. We'll go camping and set the tent up and go out there and get out in either Oneida, the St. Lawrence, wherever, and go have some fun. That's awesome. So the second thing we have in common, and you, you mentioned it at the very beginning of this podcast, and I don't know if you knew this, but I love hockey. Like, hockey for okay. me when I was young was my other thing, you know, and it got to the point where – you know, you played in college, I think, right, Gray? So you yeah. played in college. When I got to college, the, the college I attended didn't have a team. We had like a club team, so I played club. But um, it got to that point where fishing sort of got just bigger and more important to me. But, man, I can remember being like 16, 17, 18 years old, and I was like, hockey's my John. Like, in my oh, mind, I, I was like, man, I wish I could figure out a way to make a living in hockey. But fishing precedence but so that's got to be pretty unique i don't know the stats on it but anglers from the northeast that stayed in the northeast that enjoy hockey dude there's got to be less than 10 of us walking the face of the earth right now <laughs> no doubt no kidding no that's the same thing for me though it's like i always wanted to be an nhl player i didn't want to be a fisherman growing up like i love fishing but i played since i was four years old and I'm not going to say I was ever, I was obviously never that caliber of a player, but like I, I was decent enough that we got to go out there and I yeah. got to play a bunch and I played up at Penn State. Well, it was still club hockey, it was, but we traveled all over the country for it. It was, it was good hockey and it was, it was a lot of fun. Like I, but I can't give that up. I still play men's league. When I'm home, two, I play on three different teams, so it's two, three nights a week still. And It's awesome. I love this time of year. Not that it's happening this year, but most off-seasons – I'll get to play like three months in a row where I get decent again. Like I can move a little bit. I can breathe when I'm out there. I was playing last night and it, it's been the first time in like a month and a half. And yeah, I, I was, I was winded. Winded. I was, quickly <laughs> winded. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put one in on the power play though. A little, a little pass to the slot and I buried it. So that's that awesome. Good. Now what position we, do you play? I play center for men's league. Growing up, I played left wing all the time. Left wing. Um, that was a right like wing. Yeah. A little bit extra. What about you? What did you play? I played right wing. I was right just a, I was a speed guy. I was a grinder. I was okay. always the one of the smallest guys out there, you know. But I had speed. I had hustle, you know. And, and the thing, the analogy I make, and and I'd be curious to ask you the same thing is, um, like the way that I played hockey is very much the the way that I fish. You know, there there's a similarity there, and that. You know, I was never the best hockey player out there, but I would always push hard. I would work hard in practice. I would grind. Um, I would just do those things to be successful. Did you do you carry things between the two sports that are that are similar? Yeah, I guess you could say that. Uh, 
I don't know. I, I was very physical when I played hockey. Like, I, I liked hitting people. I'm, I got some size to me a little bit, so that played to my advantage. I always say the biggest thing, like a hockey game, to settle yourself down, you can go out there and lay a big hit early in the game, like get yourself settled in and like really into the mood of the whole flow of everything. The closest thing to fishing in that, I feel like, is when you run down the lake and you're doing 75 or almost 80 like it, that kind of gets you that same sort of feeling where it's yeah, it kind of gets you into that mood of what the day and setting the tone. Like, I don't want to go two feet out of the boat ramp and start some mornings. I want to go out there and get this letter eat like this. Oh out. yeah, but, I um, I agree with that. I agree a hundred percent, man. I agree that that feeling is unbelievable, and it's I tell you, it's um you know one of the things I missed. Back like when I was fishing MLF, when I was fishing the Bass Pro Tour, you know, those starts and ends were so radically different. You know, the starts were leisurely starts, like it, even to the point where you you were allowed to ramp where you wanted to ramp to in, in many tournaments. And I remember and then the way the day ended, too, you know, the day ended and just ended, you know, and uh, I remember the feeling of missing what you're talking about, you know, like that morning blast off and your numbers called your names called and yeah, dude, that energy is very similar to, to a hockey game, to a big hit or a great shot or, you know, very similar energy for sure. Yeah. Yep. What is it going to take to get you back out on the ice? Man, I admit, you know, what's funny, Brian, the carpenter and I, so Brian played hockey as well. I don't know if you knew that, but Brian, the carpenter and I talk about it all the time. And we actually, I played, same thing, like pickup games, men's leagues when I was probably still in my like mid to late 20s. But like once I hit 30, like Brian and I would get get to a pickup game or something. And dude, we would be so physically destroyed that <laughs> there came a day when we just were like, ah, we're just we just waved the white flag. I'm like, we're done. We can't do it anymore. I miss it, though. Like, honestly, it's funny. Gray, I, I occasionally like I would say maybe. Half a dozen times a year, I have dreams that I'm playing hockey. Like that's that's, awesome. that's like that's my only outlet now, or just my damn dreams, you know. But uh, I, I think I'm over the hill for that at this point. I, I want to jump to Penn State now. Uh, I want to talk about a few things there. But uh, graduated from Penn State, I have in my notes you have it. Your degree is environmental resource management. What the hell is that? It's an environmental science major. Oh. Um, it's a fancier version of it, I think, is what they were doing there. But when I went to school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I liked the yeah. environment. I liked being. I wanted a job that could be outside, and that was kind of what made sense. Because I even growing up, I, I really had no idea like yeah. I would be a hockey player. But um, it was yeah. Um, so I went for that, and out of school, I was actually working for like a pond and lake management company. We we're doing fishery surveys and uh, yeah. vegetation control. We did a lot of stuff in the Poconos, keeping kind of like you keep lanes open where the uh, they're shallow, so all the lily pads to get people from their docks out to the main lake, that sort of stuff. Right. So it was it was fun. Like it was a good job. Like, but it I don't think it was something I would have done long term. Yeah. But. I did it for three years, and that's why I was fishing those BFLs at the same time. So it kind of it worked out. I, I could do what I wanted there, but yeah, the whole degree it was fun. Like I, I enjoyed my time up there. I got to fish. I played hockey. I the trout fishing's awesome. If I don't know if you've ever done it up at State College there, the brown trout or 
everywhere and it's great so it was a great school i i need to get back up there i keep telling the guys i'm from the club i'm gonna come up and i'll talk and we'll hang out and do some fish line there yeah my father-in-law is a penn state graduate so he'd be if he's if he ends up listening to this podcast he'll be smiling right now but uh the 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 bass fishing team at penn state you know we don't have a lot of teams in the northeast but penn state's got a pretty strong team like they come out and help at our ike foundation events all the time Talk about that a little bit. I mean, did, did you guys – like, I, I feel like, you know, you have the powerhouse college teams in, in bass fishing, collegiate bass fishing. Of course, Bethel and Auburn and, like, these very synonymous teams with southern schools with a lot of success. And then you've got, like, a team like Penn State. Like, did, did you guys – how did you guys fit into that environment? Yeah, so when I was there, they were – I don't think any of the schools were doing scholarships for it even down South, cause I was there from 2008 to 2012. So I was like on the beginning half of that college fishing really taking off. It was when at the time FLW had the national guard sponsor in it. So they were throwing a lot of money into the events. Um, my, what would have been 2006, I believe is when the Penn state team started. So it was about two years before that, when I was there it would have been my sophomore year, the graduating seniors, they actually won one of the uh, events up on Lake Erie. Wow. So they, they won 10 grand. It was awesome. But that went right back to the school. But they graduated. So I fished for free the entire time I was at Penn State. So I heard those guys a lot. I needed to get them out there, those two. There's Jeremy Lake and I'm blanking on the other guy's name. But um, yeah, no, it was awesome. Like I, and then I was the only one at the team at the time that had a bass boat. So yeah. I fish all the events. I take a different guy with me each time. And um, like I said before, my wife fished with me at Penn State. We came in second at Champlain the one year. And it's awesome. It was a really good experience because, especially for me, yeah. At the time, I'd been fishing locally, um, like club tournaments, but I was always a co angler. Um, it was called Peace Valley Bass Anglers, and we'd go down to the Chesapeake probably for six of the tournaments. And then we did four. We usually do a long weekend at Oneida and like a long weekend down at the Potomac. So it got me to start seeing a little bit of the Northeast, but even when I was in college, I really didn't know a whole lot. Like I was kind of teaching myself, like on my own and kind of learning like i can remember tying up a drop shot for the first time it was probably 2009 or 10 whatever yep. it was and trying to catch fish on it when we were down at this little crappy lake in virginia called phil pot have you ever heard of that place i have not heard of that you're no. a lucky man you're a lucky man <laughs> it was like some regional we had down there from um i guess it was flw we were trying to qualify for the national championship it was Oh, they put us there in like middle of September down in Virginia, and oh, it, was, it was a grinder. But um, I caught a couple on a drop shot. I think we weighed in like four fish in two days. My wife caught a big smallie on a tube, but it was I was trying to fish like I do up in Oneida and uh, yeah, playing down there. It just it wasn't working. I didn't know the whole reservoir game at all at the time, so it was definitely it was fun though. I, I really it was such a valuable experience getting to fish those next level. Yeah, without have to pay the big entry fees like it was like fishing the toyota series essentially right um, but no it, it was good i love that's, that's awesome i i met, i wish you know like i look back uh um, in my college days and i wish there was an outlet like that you know we we didn't have it and we had just the 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 federation which is now the bass nation the club level is all we really had so that's that's the route i took but very very similar you know in that some of my first experiences on different fisheries, you know, more of a national scene was, was through the, was through the nation, was through the Federation. So 
that's cool. But uh, I, I I just didn't know if like you showed up at a tournament like the Auburn guys like booed you and th threw eggs at you and the Beth Bethel guys had slingshots or anything like that. But none of that happened, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we even get into we. Oh, what was the biggest thing? Uh, that Big Ten championship. We bring all the schools in. So we had Ohio yeah. State there, Michigan State, and that was always fun. We go out to Lake St. Clair um, in October, and it was fun because you just smash them out there that time of year. But it was yeah. still all friendly. Like, it, it, I don't think it was big enough at that point still to really have a whole lot of rivalries with it. So yeah, yeah, cool. that's awesome. Uh, I, I, I want to. I remember seeing you back. I want to say it was like, it might've actually been like the Delaware river tournament that I won. Uh, I remember seeing you like at weigh in and uh, you were helping out with the mid Atlantic youth anglers with Todd and, and those guys, dude, that's, I, I just want to say real quick, that's an awesome program. Uh, I, I love that because it's very it tied into what we're trying to do with the Ike foundation as well. Talk about that. Cause you're still a part of that, right? You guys are still doing stuff. still still trying to get kids fishing talk a little bit about that program yeah no todd's a great guy he had he has big aspirations for all that stuff and he's got a lot of kids fishing that never would have had that opportunity he does a for lot sure. of it in philadelphia yep. um on the delaware river i i don't remember the exact dates i didn't get to get down there at all this year but it's, it was like a tuesday or a thursday in the evening it was like two three hours people would just come over to the delaware river and we would cast off the bank and we'd be catching a little white perch here and there. You catch catfish every once in a while. But it, it's neat for people that never had casted a rod before to see like where they're first. They're trying to learn how to bring a spinning rod and let it go off your finger to where they it's going straight into the water or straight up. And you get them to the point where they can actually fire a bait out there and it gets yep. sailing. So it, I always enjoyed working with them. Um, we haven't, I haven't been as involved with it the last year or so to just timing wise, the schedules haven't worked out, yeah. but I still, I do a youth fishing derby at the end, or I guess in June, it's the first weekend of um, bass season then. So he's, Todd's coming over there too, and he'll help me as I'm running that little thing. And we, we have a good time. I still talk to him. He does a lot of the hunting um, initiatives with the youth now too. So if people are interested in that, I believe he's out or he is out in uh, Chester County now in Pennsylvania. Chester County. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. It, it's awesome that you're doing that. Cause I, I do want to say this. I, I want to just stop this whole interview real quick and say that I'm so impressed, Gray, with how you've handled your career from the other side, you know? And it's like right now, li literally right now, there are high school and college kids listening to this podcast. They're listening right now. And, you know, I always try to bring that up is that like fishing is this like 50, 50, Pro fishing is 50-50. It's not just the fishing, right? Fishing's like half of it, but it's this other side, which is this business side. And I've been, dude, so impressed with what you've done, like through, you know, your website and social media and your branding and your, of course, your sponsor portfolio. But dude, I, I even, I breezed on your website. Like you've got t-shirts, you've got a logo, like you've got a guide biz, like, it's impressive to see that. And, you know, in like today's age where, you know, and I won't even say any names, but we have a lot of young pros now saying, this is like live so I can curse on the show. You know, they're saying, fuck this business side of it. Fuck that. I don't want to do that. I just want to fish. Like a lot of guys coming out and saying that publicly right now. And it blows me away because, you know, they know, I knew, I knew 30 years ago, Gray, that this sport, is 50 50 
I knew that how important the business side of it is. And you've done it so well. And other guys, younger anglers are rejecting it. Talk about that. I mean, what, what, I mean, you knew early on, right? You, you clearly knew the importance of that side of it. What, what do you say to these guys that are saying, I don't want to do the business side, you know, they're, they're Xing it, you know? Yeah. It's just too hard to make a living just cashing checks and living off that. You really yeah. you can't essentially is what it comes down to. Yeah. But I enjoy the, um, I enjoy the other side of it. Like yeah. going back to Todd, he was probably one of the first opportunities I had to kind of do something that wasn't just fishing tournaments. And at the time I was fishing college stuff when I first met him and he kind of put me in front of the, at the time I had like a lower level thing with Cabela's. Like he put me in front of the right people. So I kind of learned, and I didn't know this at the time, like how important networking is with everybody. Yeah. Like, talk yes. to everybody you possibly can. And I still like it. I get nervous walking up to somebody I'd never met before, but just have a conversation. It doesn't have to be about, Oh, I need this or this. Like just talk about, we all love fishing. There's a reason that we're, right. we're working in the fishing industry while we're fishing on the professional side of things. And that's like, I think that's the most important thing you can do. Cause you never know down the line where this guy talks to this guy and he goes and recommends he's a manager for the protein for whatever lure company. And he's like, all right, you gotta, you gotta get this kid. He's going to, he's going to be something one day. And that's the college guys. I really think that's important for them to yeah. kind of make those connections when you can. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, the whole thing just is kind of come together and I've learned it all my, learned it as I'm going, um, growing up, I guess when I was in college, Justin Lucas was our MC for the college tournament at the time. So I got a little bit of a relationship with him back then. And then I became buddies with him. I started, I fished a couple uh, opens and practice with them at the calendar. So as it started to take off and I didn't realize what was actually happening when I started winning BFLs and yeah. and stuff, I could always go back and lean on him and ask him questions. And yeah. he, he's always been there if I have something to help me. Cause he's, a, obviously I think he's like four or five years older than me, but he's been fishing at it longer than I have probably, I would say he has probably close to 10 years of experience more than I do. So right. he already had seen everything. So he could help me with that sort of stuff. So I always appreciated him for that. And then, I don't know. It, it It's a dream. It really is. I, yeah. I still don't know how it happened. I, I, it makes yeah. me happy. Because I, that's what makes me, I think, work so hard at the other side of it, other than the fishing part, like doing the social media stuff and work, try, find, trying to find companies that are outside the industry to help fund all this. And it's, I don't want to go back to work in a regular job. I want to go fishing right. every day if I want to go fishing. And I, right. When I'm out fishing, be paying attention. Get Make sure you're getting sponsor pictures, like content. Yep. Do it all as much as you can. Like it, it's you're always working, but it doesn't feel like work to me at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's awesome that you said that, and you and you said it very well. I mean, it's so important. Like, because I harp on it all the time, but to hear it from younger guys, it's so refreshing uh, because it is important. And you know, I've said it before, but there are very few dudes on the face of the earth that could just fish and make a great living like there are a few you know those true natural talents but for most of the mere mortals you know you <laughs> you have to create something else to to have a, a lifelong business in the fishing industry and it's great to hear from you uh about that and and man congrats on all your success on the business side but here's the thing you've had 
a lot of success on the fishing side too, which which is very very impressive. Let me let me put my readers on. This is a sign of getting old. Don't worry, Gray. You're going to need these in a couple years. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have like I have readers laying all over the place. I have like ten pair in my boat and my truck back here in the studio. I have them everywhere. Just readers all over the place. Uh, th and this is just uh, copped off the internet. But of course, your bass bass open win, which was awesome. That was an amazing win. But dude, is this right? Four BFL wins. Is that correct? Yeah, that's incredible. Because by the way, I fished. When I fished them, they were red man tournaments. That's how long ago I fished them. But I've only had one red man win, and you got four. That's crazy. Uh, of course, a Bassmaster Classic uh, qualification, top 20 in that one. And then here's really, uh, like, I looked at your finishes, and they were amazing. But this year, dude, wh where did you finish your points? Like fifth or sixth? Fourth, fifth, sixth? Something? Sixth. I think it was sixth. Dude, that's incredible. And what a what an amazing year, dude, to, to finish sixth in points. And by finishing sixth in points, what what happened? What 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 does that mean? Yeah, I uh qualified for the Bass Pro Tour. Um, so I'm excited for that. That's kind of what the whole year was about. Um, yeah. Without having a championship this year, it was you had to be in the top eight. That was the only thing I had in my mind. And I was fishing like a madman trying to make that happen and I, it, when you look at the finishes I had this year, it was it was crazy how consistent you had to be to yeah. be in that top eight. I think there was only one stumble I had all year, and it was at for the place I knew the best, the Potomac River. Day one, I freaking caught – I caught less than eight pounds there on day one. I still – I can't fathom how that happened. I, I know what happened, but I don't – it makes me – it still drives me crazy. But the oh, I, there, I know. Believe me, I'm burning still that my worst three finishes of the year were the tournaments up here in the Northeast, like for on the elite side. I know. Trust me. I know that feeling. And Does I think – Oh, it point. hurts. It hurts. <laughs> Because, you know, history and experience in a place can either really, really help you or really, really hurt you. It's like it's hardly ever in the middle. It's like one of the two. And uh, it hurt me this year. But I know I do know the feeling. But, yeah. dude, you had a, can, can, to finish sixth. And here's the thing, too. Like, I looked at the names on that list. And, dude, it's not like you were fishing against you know, a hundred no-namers. Dude, you were fishing against the best of the best. That's a stout, that's a stout season, dude, to have a to have a top top ten, let alone a six, dude. That was incredible. Incredible. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, but that's what it's got me excited for next year for the Bass Pro Tour. And I've been working towards it for the last couple of years. Like the year before, I was one fish short of it. And <laughs> yeah. So it, it it may it shows you how important every single fish is. I caught a limit every single day of the year before, except for one. I caught four at Pickwick. And I lost a two pounder three times that day. I was like, at the time, I was like, yeah, I'll get one, and it never happened. Yeah. And you miss it by six points, and <laughs> so, but it gave me that extra burning desire this year to make it happen. So now it's now it's going to be game time. Like, we got some changes that happened over there that we yeah. learned about after I qualified, and yeah, uh, so it's going to make it that I have to have a really good year, like I did this past year again. Yeah. yeah, I'm putting the work in for it, so I'm, I'm going to be ready. Yeah, well, it's it's awesome because I think you know, as far as visibility and exposure, you know, of of course, Bass Pro Tour. I say the elites are probably one and two, um, with with people seeing you and seeing your brand and seeing you fish. So 
that's got to be exciting, right? To have now a whole tour. Like you've had some big moments, making the classics a big moment, but now you're going to have a whole tour season ahead of you with that potential for this new visibility. Is that, that's got to feel exciting, right? It is. It, I've gotten to experience a little bit of that here and there. Like you said, the classic, that was still the best event I've ever been a part of. Like I couldn't, I'm so glad I videoed the uh, weigh-in. Like I put it on my boat, the drive-through each day. I go back and watch it still. I get chills. I was like, I can't believe I was there. Yeah. But then with like FLW, I fished the FLW tour for the first couple of years. I can't, it's changed names a few times here and there, but we got to fish some bigger events that I've had the camera in the boat quite a few times over the years. So I got a little bit of that experience, but it's going to be, it's going to be different. It, 80 yeah. guys. It's a big, it's a small field and you're only fishing 40 at most at the time compared to, I think we've had 150 to 200 guys between FLW and MLF's pro circuit and all that. So it, it's going to like, I don't know if it's going to give us more room on the water or if the guys are going to still find the same stuff and, all be on top of each other anyway but um no i'm excited and all my sponsors they've really they've helped me out a lot they've stepped up with that added exposure they've seen the value in that and really helping bring everything together for this coming year yeah well that, that's awesome that's a that's a big deal and you mentioned it earlier but we uh we had an ike live i, I think it was back right around halloween a few weeks ago and we were lucky enough to get Boyd on. I still can't kind of believe it, you know, because it's funny. Brian DeCarpenter still produces that show. And, you know, we kind of had our eyes set on, we wanted to get an MLF, uh, a Bass Pro Tour angler on to get his side of it. And then we're like, man, it'd be great if we could get somebody from the management side of it, you know? And Brian's like, screw it. Let me text Boyd. I'm like, ah, he's, he's not going to come on. Cause I had, I known he'd already rejected like four or five other podcasts. I'm like, yeah, I could. I'm like, I had sent him a text, but you ain't going to get him to come on, you know? And uh, then Brian texts me back and he's like, yeah, Boyd's going to come on. I'm like, I'm like, come on, come on. I, was like, <laughs> I was drinking at the time and I was like choking on my spit. But uh, it was, it was an eye opener, you know, to hear him talk about the changes, you know? And I think it, man, in today's world, you get on this thing. This thing is like the gift and the curse, right? It could be the best thing in the world or the worst. But, you know, you get on that thing and you, you get sometimes down a negative hole, a, a ne uh, you know, you get down this route of negativity. But it was refreshing to hear him talk about the changes and and the why and, you know, why they're making some of the changes. And it was it was an awesome show. But, you know, one of the things he addressed was that that big change that's coming, uh, you know, and it's got to be an interesting feeling for you, right? To have worked really, really hard. And I know how hard you work. Cause I trust me when the cameras aren't on, I see who's busting their, their tail to practice and prepare. And I see it. You work really, really hard, literally your entire life, gray to get to this moment, right? Like this is the moment that you've worked your life to get to. And then this rule change comes out and, that reality hits you that must have been a little hard to to swallow i mean how when you found out when you were informed about what's going to go down here how, what was your initial feeling about it yeah no it went from being like if you go back to the last tournament of the year mississippi river day yeah. three i knew i needed 12 pounds that day to make the bass pro tour 
I catch a four pounder. It's the biggest one I caught all week. Flip it into the boat. I'm, I freaked out. I, I had a little like ice I, I was like, yes. I, was, I was tweaking out. Like I was going. Yes. Yes. And I was so fired up because I knew what that meant to my fishing career. Yes. And, what, and then I knew after that, like it was like basically, I think say top 63 or four or five, whatever the number was, you had to stay above that to stay in the Bass Pro Tour. And in my mind, like, if I'm, I, I was going to do that, that, that won't right. be an issue like that. Right. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to catch them enough for that. Well, now with the cut down to 50 guys and me being a newcomer into it to guarantee my spot in that top 50, I got to come in the top 10 next year. Right. I got to go out there and crack them. So right. it's, I, it, it's, a, it was hard to swallow. It still is a little bit, Yeah. but it is what it is. If I want to be fishing at the top level, I got to go out there and I got to catch them. And before that even happened, I was like, for the, I was just thinking about it as I was driving him from Mississippi. I was like, I think I could top 10, go out there and fish and finish in the top 10 in angler of the year. So right. it was kind of already in my mindset that that's where I want my goal to be for the next year. Like I want to be trying to establish myself and really get my name out there outside the Northeast where everybody knows who I am. And right. that's what I got to do. I got to go out there and I got to catch them in the Bass Pro Tour when I'm going to have that added visibility. But it's, there's a little more pressure, I guess, now that we yeah. think about it. Yeah. <laughs> And realistically, it's not going to be just the top 10. It's going to go down to, I would say, probably 20, 25, somewhere in there. Yeah. But that's still a really good year when you're fishing against 80 of the best guys in MLF at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the added pressure is obvious, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that pressure just kind of doubled when they made that change. But I, I like the way you're approaching it. Like, you're trying to use that pressure to your advantage. Right. And that, that's good. You're spinning it into a positive. And I think I, I've, I can tell you personally, I'll just throw it on myself. I think I've been guilty in the past of having added pressure, something like that happens. And then I turn it into a negative rather than turn it into a positive or as a motivator. So I, I'm glad you're doing that. I mean, I think that's, I think that's awesome. You know? Yeah. Now, no, but, I like being positive. I, I, I have a hard time, like, I don't know. I, I like to be happy. So if, if I can figure out a way to make myself be happy, even if I'm tricking myself into it, like, yeah. I, I feel like it's a better outlook for myself. And I feel like I fish better when I'm, when I'm in a good mood. And like, I feel like I make decisions better on the water, which we know that's all the name of the game is we can all put a bait where we need to and catch those fish. It's a matter yeah. of getting yourself to make that next choice where you're going to go and put your boat down and make that next cast to can be the difference between catching them or not. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm going to figure it out as I go throughout the year and I'm going to make sure I'm a hundred percent ready for it. That's I think the most important thing I can do, but yeah. Yeah. I I'm mean, I, either way. yeah, I, I, I love your attitude and, and, you know, looking at that rule change and, you know, when we talk to Boyd, you know, we're trying to keep an open mind and, and let, you know, we wanted to hear from him why they made these changes and, you know, part of me understands it, you know, the, the, the sensible part of me understands some of the reasoning. And then the human side of me, the, you know, the, the angler side that I was in your same boat a hundred years ago. I, I know what you go through to get there. That part of me hates it, you know? And I, and, and I think even more than that, I hate the fact that the body of anglers, the anglers got 
ripped from that decision. And and I hate that, you know, I, I just hate that. Cause I think, I, I think if you would, if it was the angler's choice, they would have figured out a, a different way to handle it, you know, because, you know, not just for the 30 old guys that are getting booted, but for the new guys, the young guys coming in, man, there's gotta be more of a security blanket, you know, to like, Hockey maybe is a good example. You know, you get drafted in the hockey, you know, usually you sign a contract, you know, there's some stability there for at least a few years. And here it's like you work your whole young career to get to this point. And it's like you have a bad season or a lost fish. And trust me, Gray, I know my, my two last seasons were not good. Like I know the reality of having a bad season and there's that rug, pull, you know? So that part of me hates it, but, um, you know, it is what it is. I think, I think you're handling it the right way. You know, yeah. let me ask you this. If, and there, this whole table here in the studio is all wood. This table, actually Brian, the carpenter built this studio back here. So it probably could collapse at any second because he's not a great carpenter, but I'll knock on wood. Cause I know it's not going to happen. All right. Knocking on a lot of wood there. Uh, if you're in the scenario where it's not a great season and you fall outside of that cut for, for the following year, which would be 25. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about like, where, where would at that point in your career, Gray, where, where would you go? Would you continue with that organization and try to requalify? Would you, would you then look at other alternatives? What, what do you, what do you think your career path would be? Yeah, so I actually had that kind of decision to make this this year because I was at the point where they got rid of the championship for the, the tournament of the Invitationals. Right. And it was either that or the Bass Opens. And my feeling one at time was the Invitationals, even though without the championship, I felt like there was more room to make the money there with the $10,000 cashing of the check and how it worked your way up. And I had a lot of good... I still do. Like a lot of friends there that work in the media, like Jody White. I fished against him in college. He went to Virginia Tech when I was at Penn State. So we had that connection. Um, oh, my guys, I feel like I'm going to get my exposure. Like, just when they see me running down the lake, I pull over. They're going to come snap a couple of pictures for you, which is valuable. Like, it, yeah. it, it helps your whole brand. People see it. I can use that stuff for my social media. So that was one of the main contributors that made me want to stay with MLF. Yeah. And when you made the Bass Pro Tour, life was going to be good. Like that was, that was how I saw the outlook of it. Right. The other side of it was Bass Opens were my option. I liked that they went to nine tournaments because that for me, this is what I do for a living. I feel like if I had nine tournaments to try to qualify, I feel like there's still a pretty good chance I could do that. And it's right. sort of like similar to the invitation. I, I'm a very consistent angler back when I was starting, like you were talking about the BFL wins. I don't know what changed. I used to win stuff, but now I'm like consistent. Like I can, I can top 30 a tournament. I don't want to say no problem, but like it, way more consistently than when I started where I was a good one, bad one. I think that was just a lot of evolving and learning to fish. Cause yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't say this before, but my first year on the FLW tour was 2017. I had never fished South of Virginia ever. I didn't know what I was doing when I went to a giant reservoir and one of the creek arms were six times the size of one of our lakes. And you're, you're trying to cover the thing. It's like, I, I was used to like fishing an area and then trying to figure out what was in there. And 
you can't do that down there. There's so much right. shoreline and right. You're not in the right section of one of those reservoirs that week. There's usually a third of the lake that's where it's going down. Yeah. So I think I've gotten better at that over the years. And that's, I've been kind of rambling there, so I don't know where I was going with that. But it's, <laughs> it's, um, oh, back to the Bass Opens. So I think that's where the Bass Opens. Um, I think that is an option in the future. And But where I'm at now, I have to do the Bass Pro Tour. I've worked so hard to qualify for it. I know there's yeah. some guys that are talking about they might not fish an activity. I have a hard time justifying that with right. where I'm at in my tournament career right now. And I think this is, gives me the option. If you're in that top 50, I think, Theoretically, things should be good for you if you can get in there. Yeah. But I got my work cut out for me this year, so I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give it all I have, and then at the end of the year, if it doesn't work, I'll have that same decision I had in the beginning of 23 of what am I going to fish. And right. Yep, you'll have the same. I have options. There, is, yeah, there are know. options, and I feel like I, I've talked to some of my sponsors about it, and they're, they're happy with everything I do off the water that they said they would continue working with me either way. So right. it's good to have – I makes me fish a little calmer, I think, this coming year, knowing I have that backing. And, um, but I would, again, sometime point in my career, I would want to fish another classic. That was, like I said, it was the whole atmosphere was yeah. lights out. It, yeah. it really was. Yeah, that's a special event. But I, but you're right. You know, you're going to have, regardless of what happens, you're going to have the same options. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's awesome. But, you know, the long-term goal of what they're trying to do with that top 50, like, you know, I hate to say it, but the sport kind of needs that, you know, like legitimately I'll go a step further. And I think there needs to be one league eventually, you know, like I see that like in the long, long term, right. In the short term, we need these leagues, but in the long term, man, for our sport to get to where other sports are at, there's too much clutter. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but there's too much clutter, you know? There really needs to be one league with 50 superstars, you know, the next league with 100 superstars. You know, there needs to be more of that natural process. It's just that in the short term, it's hard to swallow because of the dedication and the commitments that a lot of these guys have put in, you know? But, but from a fan perspective, Gray, if you can stay in that top 50 – you're going to get a lot of visibility. I think more visibility than you'd get potentially at the elites with 110 guys. You know, I, I think that's correct. You know, that's a correct statement. So, so good luck. You're going to do it. I got no, I got no doubt, Gray. You're going to do it. Oh, well, thank you. You're going to do it. Now, I, I, I know you said you're going to go down and scout Santee. Um, I did a lot. I did a lot of that myself last year, a little pre-scouting. Is, is that something you're going to do for all the events or what, what's your ritual going to be for this Bass Pro Tour coming up? Yeah, so when the schedule came out uh, or a month or two ago, whatever it was now, I, there's I believe four lakes I've never been to. First one, we go to Toledo Bend. We start there. Never been. Actually, I spent four hours on it one time when I was going to Rayburn, so it doesn't really count. So I'm going to go down there in December. I want to learn how to get around there. That one, that I looked out over the lake and there was just trees. Massive. <laughs> Yeah, that too. And so I'm going to go spend three days there. Santee, I'm leaving on Wednesday to go down to. I'll spend three days there and then also run over to Z-Man. They're right in Charleston, which is about yeah. less than an hour. So I go hang out with those guys. I think I've uh, twisted enough arms. I'm going to get one of them to take me out red fishing for a day. So I'm excited to go do that. But I really do like to see the lakes. I, when I go, 
I won't fish. Like I'll spend three days idling around looking at my Lawrence units, side imaging things. I won't learn yeah. how to get from one end of the lake to the other, um, most efficiently, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And I've done that my whole career where I, I like to have an idea of what I'm getting into when I get there. Right. So say I get one bite and it's on a stump in five foot of water. I want to know where 15, 20 other spots that has stumps in five foot of water. So I can right. bounce off over to that next one. And if I get bit there, it's like, oh, we got a little bit of a pattern going here. Or I run right. three other ones of those and I don't get a bite. And it's like, well, maybe that's just a lucky bite. And we got to keep digging and trying to figure out is it a, whatever a eel grass bite or whatever is going on so that's uh, my biggest reasoning why i like to go and check these places out beforehand i think yeah. this it helps me make more decisions quicker on the water and i <laughs> i want to say i'm not the most talented angler in the world so i need to put that extra work in to make sure i'm prepared yeah i i could agree 100 percent with everything you say because i feel like i'm that same guy um now i but I'm just curious from a personal standpoint, are you the, are you laying like a thousand waypoints? Are you like marking like every piece of offshore stuff or are you just trying to generally see the layout and make more general notes and waypoints? Or do you want to know like everything? I put everything down. I won't remember. So I have to put a waypoint for every single thing. <laughs> and I got a whole system. I got, so like the tree icon that there is for Lawrence greens, a lay down. That uh, dark red is a stump, blue's a brush pile, so uh, gray's a cypress tree. Like I want to know everything I can, and if you have a system and it's consistent through each lake you go to, as soon as I go back there, it might be five years later or ten years later, wherever it is, I fire it up, put my tip in there, load my waypoints to that lake, and it's like I was just there the other week. Yeah. Granted, some of the brush piles break down, but um, yeah. It, I think it really does help me. And I, if you look at some of my places, it, it's a mess. Like if somebody pulled up that graph and didn't know what they were looking at, they, it would, they'd be spun out. Like it would, it would do most people no good. I think if I gave them all my waypoints, it looked like <laughs> an abstract art. Like you could print it out and hang it on your wall, and people would be like, "Oh, look at that modern art!" You know, there's so many waypoints up there. But how I, you, how I, do you do it? Do you do I'm, that? Or you... I I do a little bit of both. So okay. you know. Last year, I think, was a good example of it really helping you and really hurting you. And it did okay. both to me. So, you know, last year, three days was my magic number. I'd love to get three days of scouting on a place. And in the beginning of the year, I would fish half the day. Of those three days, I would fish half the day and idle half the day. And I would leave a place with about a couple hundred waypoints, generally, is what I would leave a place with. And it worked wonderfully up till about the halfway point of the season. And then I was going to places. I went to Champlain. I went to St. Clair. I went to Thousand Islands and literally marked. I was leaving with, and those last three, I didn't fish at all. So I would idle for 12-hour days, right? Long days, sun up, sundown. And I would leave with like 1,300 waypoints, like, you know, 1500 like something ridiculous like thousands of waypoints and marking everything that looked strange anything that was odd and i think ray it hurt me a little in the last half of the season because i got caught up in running waypoints and not fishing the fish and not sure. fishing the moment so you know so like my goal this year is i still want to scout some some of the places i hadn't been to in a while and i still want to use that process but i'm i'm going to try to be less rigid 
Like if that makes any sense, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to be a little more open uh, and, and maybe fish a little more in pre-fish just, really? just to see what's going on. So I, 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 I like your theory and I'm, I'm right there with you, but I'm going to try to keep it like maybe less technical, you know, cause I felt like it hurt me a little bit, you know, and, and that may just be getting old. You know, I think as you get older, you get more set in your ways and, you know, you get a little more lazy maybe with what you do and how you fish, you know? So I, I got to keep learning. That's, that's one of the things I need to, I need to keep learning even at this part of my career, you know, you can't get stagnant, you know? So we'll see. I'm excited about the new year. Like you are, I'm excited about the new season. So it's, yeah. it's going to be exciting. That's good. Now the St. Lawrence is one I've liked a lot too. There's so much good looking stuff up there. It's just, I've done decent up there over the years, but I, I have too much. I really think that's what's going on there. And it doesn't let you settle in. You, you could, from Messina to Cape Vincent, it all looks good. And yeah. we all know the, whatever, Alexandria to the lakes, usually the where the bigger fish are. But I would, I, I'm very tempted to go up there and again and just start completely over. Start and, over. Yeah. Because I feel like now I have a better idea what they actually set up on. Yeah. And I have a lot of just wasted waypoints, or I just got to start deleting them as I go over where there's so much, the whole place is rock. And that's right. what small amount of is rock. So right. I think I could do a better job maybe now of getting more valuable waypoints than just having numbers of waypoints up yeah. there, knowing what, where things are. But it, I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing to do. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that technology has changed a lot of it uh you know and and in those last three events it was better to not have waypoints because you know especially at champlain and st Clair for me last year the fish were just moving around like they you know you find an isolated rock pile and it's the only rock pile for 30 30 miles you'd think that they would all live there but they were literally just following food around you know and and that that's an interesting way to fish. Uh, and, and I need to get better at that, you know. In fact, Gray, I may go on your website and fill out a submission form for a guide trip. I see you have um, active target lessons there. I'm, I may hit you up for some active. <laughs> there we go. Let's go. I may, between uh, my son Vegas and you, I've got to be able to figure this thing out. Like he's good, <laughs> he's better with it than I am. So I've got to be able to learn it at some point, you know. It's crazy. Yeah. It's amazing how it just clicks with the younger kids, even like it. I, I've had guys that came out and brought their son up with me. We go to Beltsville, is the lake I do it on. Um, it's the closest place to me that I can run my big motor, essentially, is what it comes down to. Yeah. But when I start showing them, like it just it makes sense. It's like a video game to them, a computer to them. And uh, it 15 minutes, you have the kid, he's like lining up, throwing at the crib out there that you can see the fish on. You watch his drop shot fall down next to him, he's got one. And you'll take a older guy out there and it'll take half a day before he realizes like that's the way the uh, transducer's facing and it's, it's funny it's some yeah. people it works with real quick and others it doesn't but that's where we when i go up there i try to teach everybody as much as i can and it, we have fun with it because it, it is a decent enough lake that we catch some fish while we're doing it as well yeah. which yeah. you need that real-time feedback you do uh, to get yeah. the confidence in what's going on yeah. So don't be surprised, Gray, if you see a submission on there. I might actually use my fake name too. My I have a fake name. It's Mike Shanker. S H A N K E R. So if you see a Mike Shanker guide submission, 
you know it's me. So just keep <laughs> keep your eye out for that one. Uh, Gray, I'm I, again. I, I the best word I could use is very very proud of you uh, for all your success and for representing the Northeast and uh, being a Pennsylvania guy. It's very very proud feeling when I look and watch all the tour guys and to see a guy. I feel like he's one of us. You know, like you're one of us. You're one of you're you're, you're a Northeast guy, and that makes me very proud. So. Congrats on all your success. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And uh, I know you're going to have an amazing Bass Pro Tour season. It's just, it's going to be fun watching you this year. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. No, thanks very much for having me. Like I said, you were the guy I watched growing up. So you're the big reason why I'm doing this and why we believed in ourselves being in the uh, Northeast region. So, uh, yeah, if you ever want to get out in the water, I'll take you in Vegas out. We'll go fishing. That's awesome. Gray, I appreciate you coming on the show. Be careful at Santee. A lot of stumps down there. A lot of big stumps. <laughs> nice fresh food. It's <laughs> always fun. Yeah, pop a hole in the fiberglass. Just get it over with, and then you don't have to worry about it the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, jeez. Gray, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right. Have a good one. All right, guys. There you have it. Gray Buck. That was awesome. Uh, I, I love it, dude. I, I know sometimes you hear me say things when the guys are on the camera and you're like, I was just saying that because the guy's on the camera. I am so proud of gray. Uh, it, it makes me happy and not just gray. There's a lot of guys from the Northeast, young guys that are Matt Becker. You, you know, we've got a couple on the elite trail guys that are making it on tour. It, I have a soft spot in my heart for those guys. And uh, it's tougher. I think coming from this part of the country, you know, you wonder why guys get excited when, when you catch a two and a half pounder and swing it over the gunnel. It's because you're from the Northeast, but uh, awesome interview with Gray. Wish him a lot of success on the Bass Pro Tour this year. I hope you enjoyed that one, man. I did. That was a fun interview. Uh, let me remind you, Ike Foundation Scholarship Banquet coming up end of January. Go over and get your ticket for that event. It's going to be food, drinks, gambling, uh, uh, bank, uh, giveaways, uh, raffle tickets, uh, auction items. It's going to be a great event. Head over to ikefoundation.org. Also, if you're a student, high school graduating senior listening to this, go submit an application. If you're going to college, you're looking for a little scholarship help uh, and you love the outdoors, go over to ikefoundation.org, fill out an application. Let me remind you, My World Reboot. That's right, My World uh, coming up on Waypoint TV. First show, season one, show one, Monday, November 27th, 9.30 p.m., on all the Waypoint TV platforms, waypointtv.com, the app, uh, LG TV, Pluto, Samsung, Amazon, Sling, all those. Uh, just put in My World with Mike Iaconelli, and you're going to get that show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Keep the feedback coming, guys. Keep the feedback coming. Uh, we want to know the guests you want to hear, uh, topics, uh, whatever you want. If, if there's things you love, let us know. If there's things you hate, let us know. Uh, it's been a lot of fun with this new premise. So thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next Ike Live 2.0. Bye. You know, right now where we're standing, we're in Camden, New Jersey. Yeah. Philadelphia is right there. This is the concrete jungle. And, you know, a lot of those kids, as they grow up, they don't fish. It's interesting because they're surrounded by water. You know, the, the Delaware River, the Schuylkill, ponds, city park lakes. But they don't have the influence to, to, to cast, to fish, to have a rod and reel. 
And that really, that became our focus, you yeah. know, is to target kids in what we call non-traditional areas, yeah. you know, urban areas, city centers, where the population's high. And, and let these kids have the experience. You know, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, some of the experiences we've had, whether it's Central Park in New York City, here in Camden, other parts of the country, even just casting. Yeah. It's unbelievable to see it, isn't it? Yes. It's unbelievable. Yes. And, and uh, you know, you see these kids have this experience they've never had, and they light up, you know? The big thing, I think, for the Ike Foundation is we're not, we're not saying we want all these kids to become professional anglers. Yeah. It'd be great if some of them did, but we want them to have that fishing experience because it ties them to so, so many other positive things. The outdoors, nature, conservation, conservation. Uh, ecology, um, you know, all these amazing things in life that maybe they wouldn't have been exposed to any other way, we're trying to help with that. So it's, it's important, it's important for us. Yeah. We're proud of it. I subscribe to Bass UTV, and so should you. Great place to learn about anything you want to know about bass fishing. You get it at Bass U. We got the best of the best. I'm not just an instructor, I'm a subscriber. I'm John Cruz, and I am a subscriber. You can always learn, and um, watching Bass U is definitely helps with that. It's something that I like to do, and it's definitely something that you need to do. If I'm still learning, you should be too. Subscribe to Bass U, because you'll learn how to catch a lot more fish.